looked at the seven, started at the seven churches. We got through the first two, and I, there are some questions that I know you, some of you probably had, and some things that I didn't go into. Um, one of the reasons why is some things I like to double check and make sure instead of going from memory, and sometimes I don't want to throw more information out than you can keep up with. As I said this before, I'm going to say it again. There are certain parts of this. I'm trying to go slow. I'm trying not to go too fast. For some people, it's probably too slow. For some people, maybe too fast. And for some, it's just right. And uh, we're probably going at times, we're probably going to go faster than you're able. And for some of you, it's going to be slower than you want. But we're trying to find that nice pace. All right. Um, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, let's look at the, let's start at verse 2. Let's look at this first church again. Then we're going to look at the Smyrna. Then we're going to get to Pergamos and hopefully Thyatira uh, tonight. We'll, we will see. Now, in verse 2, Revelation chapter 2, everybody there? It says, I know thy work to thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. So First uh, John, the Bible tells us how to do this. Uh, there's different ways. One of them, he says, try the spirits. Another one, he says, if they, do, if they deny that Christ came in the flesh. So there's things to look for. Remember, the Jews did not believe in Jesus being the Messiah. So it was real easy to pin them down, well, kind of, but in a sense, that was one of the tall tale signs to pin them down and say, did Christ come in the flesh? Did our Savior come in the flesh? If they said no, then they were false. And that's true today. Um, Drew has been fascinated, I mentioned this last week, with strange ways people dies on YouTube. Now, uh, I do watch his YouTube watching. I do check out what I, well I don't just turn him loose on YouTube but uh, there was some guy in Africa he saw here a couple, two or three weeks ago who said he could walk on water and he started on the water and the alligator proved him wrong. Um, he was about waist deep when the alligator proved him wrong. Um, then this fella said that he could be buried, rise again three days later. So they dug a six foot hole, put him in the casket threw dirt on him and three days later dug him up and he needed to go, he, he stayed in the hole because he needed it then. Um, he was dead. Point being, in the, in the last 50 years, some of you have heard different stories about people claiming to be God, claiming to be Jesus, claiming to be some kind of spiritual guru and come to find out that they were not. So there's always something to show that. Verse 3, sin has born and has patience and for my name's sake, labor and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent, do the first work, trust I will come to thee quickly, and remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, what that is referring to, let me explain something here to you. Not all, I get that. But there's a lot of churches that no longer exist because they did not follow the truth of the word of God. As an individual in this church, you can go the opposite direction that God tells you to go. You can sin, do wrong. You can say, well, I, this is how I want to live. This is how I want to do it. I don't care what God says, the Bible says, preacher says, deacon says, whoever else, blah, blah, blah. And this is, you know, blah, however you want to word it. 
And you as an individual may not cause this church to fall. You will hurt the church. You will drastically hurt your own life and yourself. But if this church as a whole starts believing, teaching, and preaching things that aren't true, that's when you're in danger of the candlestick being removed. In other words, that's when God says, I will shut that church down. I will eliminate it. Not all churches that close have that problem. And let me go ahead and tell you, that's not always the case, and we'll explain that in a minute, but that is what it meant right here. And if you want to know, the church at Ephesus no longer exists. Um, I, I read so much throughout the week studying this, and I'll say, I'll go back and look at that later instead of writing it down then, and I forget. I did read what year that supposedly the church at Ephesus ceased to exist, and it wasn't too many number of years after this. Yes, sir. That's true. Yes, you're right. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Where they're lacking. In verse 6, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, he's not saying he hates the people. God doesn't hate anyone. He hates the sin is what he hates. The works, the sin nature, that's what he hates. You've heard me say this numerous times. You want to know what God thinks about sin? You ask God to give you a real good vision of the crucifixion of Christ, you'll find out what God thinks about sin what he did to his son for you and I. That's right. It's exactly right. Our sins are in hell. That's where Jesus took them. But it's the sinner that's, that's rejecting Christ who goes to hell. Real people, just like you and I, the people that you and I know is who die and goes to hell. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, then, of course, in verse 7, you know, it tells him that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches, to him that overcometh, will I give thee the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He's talking about overcometh there. Uh, again, John tells us that our faith is what overcomes the world. If you're born again, you're an overcomer. All right, the church at Smyrna. Um he said unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, Write these things, saith the first and last, which was dead and is alive. He's speaking of himself. This is Jesus talking. I know thou worked in tribulation and poverty, for thou art rich. We talked about that last week. He, he's speaking spiritually. They're rich spiritually. Uh, now Smyrna, uh, let, me say, let me back up just for a second. Let me say this about Ephesus. And we'll look at these on the map in a couple weeks. Ephesus also was a major trade city. It was probably one of the largest cities at the time. Uh, it was where it was located on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a major seaport. She's fine. Honestly, it's, it's not bothering me. No, it, 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 it's fine. 
I, I said all the time, babies don't bother me. It's the big babies that bother me. Um, if we be real, sometimes they can be distracting. We'll just be honest. That's not, that's not, not but they really don't bother me. They honestly. Um, but so over time, this harbor that they had, the way it was made is they could come into a harbor and it was like a water break from the sea. So the sea in their harbor was safe. And it was, it was gentle waters. Well, over time, silt filled that harbor up. And as time went, Ephesus became a dying city. You also know that they had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Does anybody know that? Do you know? Because I know you studied it. I'm looking at you, John. Okay. Uh, it was... It was the uh, temple to Diana, the, the goddess of fertility. Uh, it, had, it was massive. And what this was, uh, basically, for lack of better words, a prostitute house. Uh, you went there to get you a man or lady. That's what it was for, primarily a lady. Uh, there was a huge statue of Diana uh, in it. It was behind a curtain. Uh, there were different corridors in it, and it was a massive building. So Ephesus was known for that. That's what they were known for. And you see on this uh, little table, and I've showed you different ones, and I've told you different titles, Ephesus, uh, meaning of its name, desirable. This is what the, name, the word Ephesus means. And it was on the apostolic church, the, the first days of the church when it was found and it was in existence, but they'd left their first love. So the church in uh, Smyrna, um, it was north of Ephesus, and if you notice, I'm going to explain this, Smyrna, you see fragrant when crushed. Can you see, everybody see that? Now I'm going to tell you the unique thing about that. Uh, Smyrna, fragrant when crushed. Uh, does anybody remember what they brought to Jesus Christ at his birth? Gold, frankincense, and guess where murder come from? Man, y'all pretty good guessers. It grew on a tree. When you break the tree or, or brush the bark, this sap come out, and that's what they made myrrh from. And it gave off a fragrance, a very sweet-smelling fragrance. So that's why... Smyrna means fragrant, I can barely pronounce that, when crushed. And it was what you've heard me say, the persecuted church. Some 100, these are approximate dates, but most of the time, about anything you look at, they're going to follow this date pattern. Uh, AD 100 to 313. And uh, if I get time in a minute, i got to look at it. i got to hurry. I don't want to go, but... Yes. Okay, let me explain this. They did. All of these churches were in existence when this letter was written. What this does is these churches follow the church age up to present time. So not only was it letters to actual churches at that time, this is also prophetically speaking. Church ages. If you follow these out, 
each one of them. And the reason I'm giving you the history behind them and spending so much time um, on this is, is this is going to matter as we go through this some. Um, but each one was guilty of what, what they were uh, accused of at that time. Obviously, if Christ tells you you're guilty, you're guilty. I mean, he ain't going to get it wrong. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to argue against him. Um, I tried. It, it, it don't work. Um, but it also follows the church age. Have you heard people say Laodicean church age? You all heard that. We are in the Laodicean church age. And I'll explain that more when we get to Laodicea and explain to you what one of the most misunderstood and mistaken out of context verses I'll spew you out of my mouth, where that comes from, what that means. Um, so he tells them uh, their poverty, said, I know uh, the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So this is false teachers coming in, uh, trying to claim to be something they're not, just like today we got people come into a church, they claim to be something they're not, uh, right on down the line, you all have seen it. He says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that it may be tried, and he shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now I'm going to tell you a little something here. I've looked uh, different places uh, from different people and about um, the 10 days. Now, if you remember, some of you remember this, when we started this, I said, I interpret in Revelations like I do the rest of the Bible, a literal interpretation. That means what it says is what it means. There are some things that have symbolic meaning, yes, and I think it's clear when it is. But here when it says 10 days, I have read commentaries, I have looked, I have looked, and some of them has got some far-fetched math ideas, they've got some kind of far-off things. Everything I can tell you is, it was 10 days. 10 literal days. And it was for that church. They knew what it meant. He didn't have to tell us. Now, it applies to us, but it was not written directly to us. Does that make sense to everybody? Just like your epistles. Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church at Rome. But God put in the can of the scriptures and it's definitely for us, but it was original intent was to that church in Rome. Paul didn't know it was going to be in our Bible 2,000 years later. He didn't know that. So, so 10 days is the best I can get. Be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. There's a martyr's crown that people who died for the cause of Christ can win. I don't recommend you go to the Middle East or somewhere, walk out in the street, start claiming Jesus so you can be shot down for the name of Jesus. I don't know that you'll win a crown because that's more like suicide, to be quite honest with you. Anyway, and he says, him another here, let him hear. So Smyrna was also considered a, um, a beautiful place. Now, let me read something to you. And we're gonna look at this outline here just in a minute. And... Um, I want you to listen to this just for a minute and this will make sense uh, somewhat I'm gonna tell you. He was just three years old when his father died. It was little loss to the boy for his father had been a killer, a bully, and a cheat. 
His mother took over the family trade and continued the boy's education. She murdered his stepfather with a dish of poisoned mushrooms. He was reared in squalor and proved a notable son to his parents. While still young, he committed his first murder, killing a teenage boy who stood in his way and watching him die with callous indifference. He married at 15, but soon had his wife killed. He married again and slew his second wife too. In order to marry a third time, he murdered the husband of the woman he wanted. His mother annoyed him, so he arranged for her murder, first by guile, but when that was unsuccessful without pretense. He was an ugly man with a bull neck, beetle brows, a flat nose, and a tough mouth. He had a pot belly, splendidly legs, don't be making fun of splendidly legs, bad skin, and offensive odor. At the age of 31, he was sentenced to death by flogging. He fled to a dingy basement in the house of a slave, cut his own throat. He gave the infant church its first taste of things to come. His name was Nero. Does anybody know who Nero is? Does anybody remember me talking about him? He was the emperor, Roman emperor. That is who tried Paul. That is who had Paul beheaded. He was the first Roman emperor, Caesar, to really start the persecution of the church. And after him, it just kept on going. Um, the, uh, let's see. Uh, he was the first persecuting Caesars of Rome. When John wrote from Patmos, Nero had come and gone. Another Caesar, Domitian, was on the throne. He was suspicious and blasphemous tyrant. The time had come for the second round of official persecution to begin. In his second letter, John addresses a church that was soon to face the bitter hatred of the world. The church of Smyrna became the cameo of the church under fire. So they, um, Nero is who started the persecution of the church and many seizures after that continued. Has anybody seen the movie Gladiator? Russell Crowe, yeah. you can be honest if you're, you know, if you're a heathen and, and watched it. Uh, it. It actually is. It actually is a really good movie. Um, well, uh, Augustus, what's his first name in that movie? Yeah, but anyway, uh, it's based on a real, uh, actual Caesar, one of the Caesars, one of the Roman rulers. I don't think it really follows. I'm sure there's a lot of Hollywooded up, but the real Caesar's name is used. And in that movie, he's made to be a peaceful man and somebody of great worth and value and love. But let me go ahead and tell you, there was not a Caesar after Nero that loved the church. All of them killed Christians by the hundreds with no malice. None. Rome is not the church's friend and neither is the Catholic church. So that is the persecuted church. Nero started it during the apostolic period, if you will. Uh, then Smyrna church, as far as the age, church age goes, suffered like no church. Let me explain to you what that means. The church itself as a whole from about A.D., 100 to 8313 was heavily persecuted. Um, let me read on here. Go to verse 12. Is everybody there? Does anybody want to read that down to verse 17?
Okay, hold, hold up right there just for a minute. All right, so he told him, he said, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. So Pergamos was a city steeped in idolatry, heavy, heavily idolatry. And they, um, if you look on your outline, let's go to Pergamos. Uh, it should be on about page 13, which I don't think it's actually 13 pages away. At, you'll see um, it's only about like four pages in. You'll see the outline where it says, one, what have you seen? Revelation 1, then 2, what is now? The seven churches and days of minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, then Pergium, uh, there at letter C. Does everybody see that? Okay, let's read that paragraph. Pergium can be characterized as a city of authority. From around 600 B.C., a number of kings chose this site for the royal city, partially due to an ideal position for whatever that is, on a hill rising over a thousand feet above the valley. So this city was built up on a hill about a thousand feet on all sides. So anybody that came against it to try to conquer it, it was impossible. They would get boulders and put them at the top of the hill and the roads that come up just roll them down that hill. I mean, who's going to stand against that? I mean, it was, just, it was impossible almost to defeat it. Um, the city served as the administrative capital of its providence as well as the chief seat of the state religion, which was Rome. The Romans constructed a temple to Augustus there in 29 B.C., the first city in Asia to possess a temple dedicated to a Roman emperor. Another imperial temple was later built and dedicated to Trajan. A number of shrines coexisted in Pergamum, including a popular one for that person, the god of healing. Parchment was first manufactured in Pergamum, so the city gave its name to this writing material made from animal skins. They pergamonized the animal skins. Pergamum housed a large library second only to that at Alexandria, Egypt. Parchment became the main medium for documents kept in Pergamum. So here's kind of some of the things that went on to the city. It became the capital of Rome in Asia, in this part of the country, in part of the world. And what you could do is you came at times you confessed loyalty to Caesar, that Caesar was God. They gave you a slip of paper or, or coin stating you did this and you were free to worship any God you wanted, however you wanted. But you were first going to, going to swear allegiance to Caesar. Well, the Christians would not do this. They would say there's only one God and he ain't Caesar. So therefore, they instantly made themselves a marked person for persecution. Does that sound familiar? See, some things don't, I mean, a lot of things that you read and you start studying is, some things has already taken place in some form, fashion, or another. Not all. All right. Now, here on that same page, characterization of Christ, he wields a two-edged sword. Does anybody know what the two-edged sword is? The Word of God. Anything Jesus speaks. <laughs> um, 
People think C.F. Hutton listens when they talk. They don't nobody listen like when Jesus talks. Jesus makes action happen when he talks. Um, so he commends the church at Pergamum for its work in spite of its idle field environment. He commends the church at Pergamum for remaining faithful even when Antipas was martyred in the city. We do not, from everything I can tell, we do not know hardly anything about this fellow. All we know was he was loyal to Christ to the, to the bitter end. That's what we know. Somebody involved in this church. Um, we know that, and we just don't know much more beyond that. Now, turn back one page. I want to point something out. I forgot about this. This is, I don't want to confuse you, but uh, so this is the church at Smyrna. We're going to turn back to just for a minute, one page. Should be page 12 at the top, right hand. Does everybody see that? Everybody on that page? Okay, notice where it says uh, he counsels the church at Smyrna to remain faithful to the testing which will occur by means of persecution. Note, Roman imprisonment of Christians frequently became a prelude to their execution. Christ encourages the believers to be faithful even unto death. John's own disciple, Polycarp, became a martyr of Smyrna in A.D. 155. He refused to blaspheme the Lord's name so his persecutors burned him alive. Let me tell you what history tells us about Polycarp. He is considered the first martyr, pastor after John the, uh, the Baptist, or John the Revelator, not John the Baptist. Apostle John goes off the scene. Here's what supposedly happened. Um, they told him to bow to Caesar, confess Caesar as God. He said no. He said My, he, he was an old man. He was like in his 80s. He said, I will not. And so uh, supposedly they, built a, they brought him into the Colosseum there. They built a fire around him put all the wood, and they was going to nail him up. He said, you don't have to nail me, I'll stand right here freely. So they set the fire around him, and supposedly it would not burn. Like the fire would come all around him, but like it stayed back a few feet from him, and he just stood there. So then eventually, one of the soldiers, somebody took a spear and stabbed him. And they said the blood shot out to the point that it put the fire out in front of him. Now I'm just telling you what has been reported. This is not in the Bible. This is history. And John's shaking his head. He's, he's read the same thing. So this is history. So it tells us that Polycarp was, the, was one of the first known martyrs of the, of the ancient world. And that's why I wanted to back up and tell you that. So when you read these things about these churches, don't look at them like they're awful and terrible. And man, I wouldn't be part of that. Let me go ahead and tell you, you're probably more part of it we are than what you realize. Almost everything here. A lot of these, what these churches has been, Christ has kind of convicted them for or given them stripes for, most of us probably would get the same stripes. We're not as good as we like, we like to think we are sometimes. I've never had nobody hold a gun to my head or a sword to my throat and say, are you, are you a Christian? I'd like to think I could look at him and say, yes, I am. But I'll be honest with you. I've never experienced that. I don't know how I'm going to respond. And neither do you. I hear you, baby. <laughs> All right, number three there on, on the page we were on. Go back to the page we were just on. At the bottom, it's complaint by Christ. And we're going to probably wrap up here. 
we're not getting very far. He complains that the church at Pergamum tolerates the false teaching of a sect of Balaam that results in immorality. Balaam is in the Old Testament. Uh, somebody paid him to, a, a king paid Balaam to try to curse Israel and bless his people. He's the one who the donkey talked. And um, so what, what Jesus is saying is you're acting just like Balaam did. That's what you're acting like to the, to the church at uh, Pergamus. And uh, so he, he's condemning them for that. He complains that the Pergam tolerates the Nicolaitans. There they are again. Uh, that word has two meanings. We'll talk about that more next week, just a little bit. But from what we can tell, it's teachers that came in and tried to split the people. And possibly priests that would come in and want to lord over people. Does anybody know what year the Roman Catholic Church started? That is correct. Best we can tell, that's when the Catholic Church started, which is in Pergamus, the compromising church. From AD 313 to 538. Now I'm going to throw some, a couple things out at you and we'll stop here. And... When this study is over with, we're going to remind me, we'll look at a couple of these. Uh, somebody write it down and remind me because I will forget. You, you hear us sometimes as preachers or other people mention um, Calvinism. All right, John Calvin got a lot of his Across this country right now, one called hyper-Calvinism than this Calvinism. They call it the tulip, the five uh, points of Calvinism. Now, the point I'm making is, is around this time is also when the doctrine of what we believe, the end times of the pre-tribulation rapture, and I'm going to explain to you what that means here just in a second, was lost. The law of the church, some of the church still held on to it. But for years it was not taught by most of the church because of these false doctrines that was allowed to come in and take over. And we're seeing that again today. There's two things that I talk to any pastor in any country or any state that I hear. Number one, is false teaching is creeping into the church. Number two, don't get mad at me, the people of the church don't care. If you think they do, we had 64 last Sunday. We had how many? 86, 85 this past Sunday. Look around. You think people care? Do you think this church cares? Look around. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it ain't just this one. It's every pastor 
that I talk to in every church I know in every country not just here in America it's worldwide and folks I'm going to tell you God ain't going to stop for that he costs too much to give us what we have for us to not care about what God thinks it cost him his son anyway I'm not I didn't know I was going to go into all that but um, but no <laughs> Amen. That's true. Um, the one thing, the one solace or comfort, I guess, that I take, and, I, and I'm and I, I'm on, I'm telling this for you all, you all's benefit as well. Um, do I get aggravated that people don't come to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night? Yes, I do. I know some of you do. But it's not you, me, or, or whatever else that people's rejecting. They're rejecting God's who they're rejecting. And again, it's every pastor that I talk to. I, I got to go to a camp meeting down in Princeton Monday night and Tuesday morning. I've tr tried to go back to it for years. Went years ago. I like it. I like all the preachers. It, uh, it's good service, good spirit, good presence, everything. And I heard three pastors, four pastors preach. And guess what all four of them mentioned? Lack of Christians coming to church Sunday night and Wednesday night. All four of them. And one evangelist. Dale Vance was the evangelist. But those four pastors, all four of them mentioned that. So it's take some solace. For lack of a better way of putting it, it's not just us. Does it bother me? You better believe it bothers me. <laughs> but... Um, you know it, each one of us is going to answer to God for how we conduct our life as a Christian you as an individual I can't be there to help you your spouse can't be there to help you your kids, your parents your, nobody it's you and Jesus so anyway any questions or comments about the lesson no I don't know where Cain got his wife we'll study that out his mother-in-law That's not true. Yeah. That might have been his intentions. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, his intentions. And in his mind, that might have been right. The problem was Augustine wasn't saved. Right. Um, right. 
Um, so just kind of an FYI there, that's when a lot of the religions that's taking place today got started. The only one that might be an exception to that time period, and I'll give you the history behind this one real briefly, is Islam. Does anybody know where Islam come from? Where, who it started with? Go back way further 